at, you know, chapter 6 of Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to start out a different way because I want you to brainstorm for me a little bit. And I want you to think of probably sports more than anything about things that you do in sports where you have to, you know, you have a goal. You know, you have something that you're aiming for. Um, So how many of those things can you think of? Target. <clears throat> what okay. types of things? Mm-hmm. Um, a goal. I mean, what are you, that well, that could be a goal when you make a goal yeah. in soccer, a ba- basket, or a basket. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? And in softball, you always have goals. To okay. Get first base, home plate. Okay. Hit the ball. The pitcher, especially, is aiming for that sweet spot. Like you're always <laughs> trying to throw somebody out. Yes. Uh, all those things. Yep. High jump. You're trying to beat your highest. Yes. Mm-hmm. Anybody else? But there's lots of things in sports, um, and and that I'm going to come back to that. I'm not going to tell you why you had to think about all that right now. But at the end, I will try to make a little more sense of that. Okay, and looking at today's scripture, um, we're looking, to me, at some of the things that really, really strike to our emotions. And um, human behavior, natural human behavior being what it is, that this, this is really a convicting uh, piece of scripture that we're in. Um, and this is another place where Jesus adds to already existing laws. He says, you have heard it was said, but I say to you, and um, with the time that I have with you, we're going to look at some of those. And did everybody get a handout? Okay, we're going to look at some of those scriptures. Um, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, He's quoting the laws in the Old Testament, and I put um, some down there for you. I have to say, though, if you have never read Exodus 21, 22, and 23, those chapters go through all of the laws that God gave to Moses to give to the Israelites as they were traveling, um, you know, leaving behind when, when they were under the uh, law of Egypt and they were virtually slaves. And he's bringing them out, but there needed to be some laws in place, and especially for them because it was 40 years before they got where they were going. And that's a whole other thing, too, that their sinful nature showed up in a lot of places where that, where that is concerned. But uh, in Exodus um, 21, 24 is where we find an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, hand for a hand, foot for a foot. In case you want to go look sometime, this chapter also has instructions for what happens when a bull gores someone or if a pregnant woman is hit and goes into premature labor. That's all in there. I mean, when you go into the nitty-gritty laws, the detail that God went through uh, into these. Leviticus 24.20 begins with fracture for fracture. Deuteronomy 19:21 Your eye shall not pity it shall be for it shall be life for life eye for eye tooth for tooth hand for hand foot for foot and that sounds pretty barbaric to us um, but in fact these laws were put into place for a very good reason uh, they provided boundaries and restrictions as to what would happen to the person who had caused this this injury um and if you knocked out my tooth it was not my reason to kill you you just knocked out my tooth 
And I would say, I can't knock out all your teeth if you knocked out one of my... So it, it really was put into place to put some boundaries um, and so that people would not be paying greater damage than what they had caused. And of course, that's also where Jesus says, you have heard it said. And it means that this scripture lesson isn't ending there. Uh, there's more to the story to make it complete. And in verse 39, we hear, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And I'm going, really? You don't have to pay back evil for evil? You just let that slide? And then I started thinking, after I wrote this, I started thinking of all of the movies that we watch and how many times there's a, some, some horrible villain that does something at the beginning. I'm going to say even in fairy tales, let's be mm -hmm. clear, yeah. even in fairy tales, that there's a villain this villain has caused chaos, and we're just watching. And at the very end, he gets his. And I just happen to think of the big bad wolf, you know, depending on which one. Here he's causing all these problems for these three little pigs. And I'm not sure which version, but in the original version, which probably should never be read to children, it was a, a, a horrific end to the wolf. And he ended up coming down the fireplace into boiling water or oil. Anyway, moving on. Um, so we're supposed to show mercy, God, to the person who's wronged us. Um, and as I've heard so many times, I don't get mad, I get even. Uh, so God has a higher plan for us, even though it is our nature to want to fight back and to kind of get things back on an even keel. Now, the other part is, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. This piece of uh, scripture has been misused by many a person when they're talking about domestic violence. And that is not what this... If you, I saw a poster, that's why. I looked online just to see what visuals they had, because I toyed with this long having a PowerPoint, but it lasted for that long. But I saw a picture of a man, like his hand was up here and his wife was like this, and that's complete misuse of this scripture. It was a backhanded slap. If, if, if you can, I'm not going to it, but if I were to, to strike out and hit you with the back of my hand, I would hit your right cheek. And what that was, was just this huge form of insult in Jesus' time. By doing that, I would say, you are nothing. You are worthless. You are not even worth me talking to. And so more than the strike, it wasn't something that they thought would end up with fists flying, you know, or something like that. It was an insult. And what God is asking us now is not returning that insult just because somebody has insulted you. Um, and again, let me be very clear, it has nothing to do with domestic violence, and it doesn't mean, it also doesn't mean you should be somebody else's punching bag. It does not mean that you should put up with bullies, not any of that stuff. But it's just kind of, and I, I have a story to share with you which might um, put some light on that. Jesus instruct us, instructs us that we should not be striking back with insults when someone has insulted us. He doesn't want us to stoop down to their level. Mm -hmm. More than anything, he just doesn't want to see us do that. Um, they're also exhausting. Those arguments, they're exhausting. You know? And so if we retaliate with more anger, it reduces us um, and makes us less than God created us to be. 
Uh, I'm reminded, too, of the first sentence that was in Lesson 2. Last time I talked, that's why I guess it stuck up. But um, in Lesson 2, it says, There are people in the world who will never open a Bible. Still, they are forming impressions about God every time they meet a Christian. You may be the only Bible that someone will read. And so... That being said, we don't have control over other people's actions or other people's words, um, but with God's help, and I put a but with God's help, crap, capital letters all the way across, uh, we can try to control our own words and the way we react. Um, I'm going to tell a story that happened about a week ago. My husband and I we're at LAX. We were returning from California, going to come back to Chicago. So we were going through those first stages where you have to go through security. And um, actually, it was going pretty smoothly. And for whatever reason, we not, did not sign up for it. I guess we just looked like good guys. We were put into that line. There, it says, you, it's very unlikely that you will have to remove your laptop taps or your little court bag or your shoes. Very unlikely. Just go ahead and and push through and in fact we're going this is really great this is good over to our side however there was a gentleman who you know that when you go to the airport and you can see those guys it's like I fly for a living and I need to get through this and you could just kind of see this building in him to start with well something made when he went through the metal detector something he did obviously didn't get everything out and he pulled out thinking, well, this is not my error. I did everything I was supposed to do. He's just, and you could just, it's like I'm getting so uncomfortable. And they pull him out, and then they take the wand, and he's still being belligerent with a TSA agent. And that, to me, is, the, the, you know. So then a third person comes out because he's still being belligerent. And I, and I said, that's not smart. Now... This is a thing about me. Some of you already know. You said it out loud to him? No, yeah, well, not. To, I didn't think to him. Okay. Uh, but those of you who know me, I think that I'm saying something to the person next to me, <laughs> and the timbre of my voice will send it flying. You know, and I have time. Is like, I'll be in choir, and I'll be going, and the director goes, yeah, good one. And I'm like, oh, you weren't supposed to hear that. So I just, and I thought I was talking to Jeff, and I said, that's not smart. And pretty soon I hear from behind me, don't you tell me it's not smart. Don't you tell me it's not smart. You can't just lie down. You can't let them run over you all the time. Welcome to America. And he was just so belligerent. Full of anger. And so finally he leaves, and we're all looking at each other like, okay, all right. And then Jeff and I are just about ready to go, and somebody said, Sir, are these your keys and your change from your pocket? <laughs> no, no, it's not ours. And they looked around, and this young man who was the passenger holding it said, I think they belong to that guy. <laughs> so when we headed out toward the gate, sure enough, this guy is coming toward us. And I went... Be nice, be nice, be nice. And I said, sir, I, I think maybe you have left some things back. And he says, thank you very much. And I thought, he's got to go back there. He's got to go back and face all those people that he was so rude to. And I have to say that I should have been reminded of Proverbs twenty four seventeen, which is all also on there. Do 
Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. But I have to say, I went, oh, my word, if that had been me, I would just want to crawl and go, I'll get new keys, I don't need money, you know. <laughs> so what do we do when something like that happens? You, you know, you can feel it in you, and, and we, we all know now to try and take um, a deep breath. How can you diffuse the feelings that you have? And I actually am going back to fourth grade for this lesson. Um, uh, it's, it's something that we taught at our school. And it was um, it's supposed to help the kids to settle their differences without us always having to intercede. But I would contend, ladies, that this is a lesson that is good for life because I have used it. <laughs> and it, yeah, and you have used it, but you would know about the I statements as well. Um, you know, whatever has happened, someone's insulted us, thrown us under the bus, or whatever. Um, you feel that kind of like, what do I say? What do I say? You know, and most of the, uh, to begin with, I would like to, since we've already done the sports, the other thing, what are some feelings that you might have when you are going through this? Sometimes I just feel convicted. I know I'm wrong. My mother used to be one of those people who would... Look, sir, she would just tell people off all the mm -hmm. time. And I was so, so upset by that. Okay, upset. she was wrong. Yeah. But um, I don't know, maybe I do let people walk on me a little bit more, but I also know that we're subject to the governing authorities, and they're all from God. Right. right. So um, I, don't, I don't know, but I feel... Well, not necessarily in, the, for, in this TSA person, but you yourself, what are some feelings that come to light? When maybe somebody has said something that's unkind. Oh, hurt. Hurt? Yeah. Okay. Anger. Anger. Disrespected. Disrespected, yep. Yeah. That's a big one. You want to rationalize what they said that, oh, you know, it can't be true. Because mm -hmm. sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. Um, I began a lot. I had. Be, I would begin a lot of mine in fourth grade with, "I feel frustrated." Yeah. You know, I just feel frustrated. So, um, if you, if we can look at that time, or you can think of other times when arguments have have you know broken out. Um, I would ask these questions: Did it go well? <laughs> Did it really accomplish anything? Did both parties feel better or worse than it was over? And I, I contend that this is where it comes in. Because usually those arguments start with you. And I'm not saying you. I'm saying you. And I'm not, I'm using this just for an example. Um, but it could be, I'm going to play this one. You forgot to take the trash out. You always forget to do it. You never do what I ask you to do. You just don't listen. You are lazy. You are irresponsible. And I cringe. I've got chills right now because I, I got, I'm like, I don't want a child to be on the other end of that ever, 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 because I love them so. But you, you know what I'm talking about when that, and it's that you. And then the other person, if they're a peer, will come back, well, you don't do so well yourself, and then it starts. What we taught students was something called conflict resolution. And it starts with the letter I. And it identifies what you are feeling, whether it's disrespected, 
um, angry, whatever it is, you would say that. So in this case, I'm going to use disrespected, and I might say, you know what? I feel disrespected when the garbage doesn't get out on time because now we don't have enough room in that garbage can, and we're going to be smelling that for another full week. And I want you to follow the directions and follow and do your chores when you're supposed to do them. And I think you can feel the difference. I wrote that down for y'all on the other side. <laughs> so anyway, um, well, go get back to scripture here. But honestly, it, it does diffuse. And I think what it forces us to do, too, is also have some time to think about it. Why is this upsetting me? You know, And if you can come up with there's no room in the garbage can and now we have to smell it for a week, I think that might work in the summer at least. But anyway. uh, So back to Matthew 5. In verse 43, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Easy. I love you, ladies. I love each and every one of you. I love my family. I love my neighbors. I love my town. This is going to be so easy. This is going to be so easy. And the list goes on and on and on. But then Jesus goes beyond that. And he says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then I stop and I'm going, well, of course, that 9-11 thing, you can't really mean that I'm supposed to care about them. You, you can't really mean that I'm supposed to love them. You can't really mean that I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, caring about gunmen and, and people who steal. You, you don't mean that, do you, Lord? And everybody in the whole wide world, yeah, that's what he's asking us to do. Now, that doesn't mean we have to like them. It certainly does not mean that we have to like the things that they do. But we are supposed to show concern for them and pray for them. And it's not just in this verse. Leviticus 19.18 says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. To me, that's kind of like drop the mic. Boom. I am the Lord. There's nothing more to be said. Follow this rule. Uh, Proverbs 24, 17. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let your heart be glad when he stumbles, even if he's being mean to the TSA people. Um, Luke 6, 27 through 28. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Hard words. Luke 6, 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward, your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. And then in Romans 12, 17 through, 17 through 19, Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And I think the verse I'm most used to hearing is, Vengeance is mine, thus saith the Lord. So here we're asked to trust God to take care of things. 
And we can be assured that he will. If he says he will, he will. As long as we hold on to hatred, it will continue to hurt us. And many in the world are going to think that we are weak or crazy or a combination of both to believe these things. But when we use that kind of self-control, we're showing our faith to the world and we are honoring God. And what a perfect example the Lord provides for us of what forgiveness looks like. Um, He forgave prostitutes. He forgave thieves and more. And he even forgave those who put him on the cross to die. In Luke 23, 34, we hear him say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's in our nature to want to retaliate when someone hurts us. And I would say, at least for myself, those feelings are magnified exponentially when somebody hurts someone I love. It's one thing to hurt me. But if you hurt my husband or one of my kids, it, to me, that's a whole different ballgame and a whole uh, you know, bunch of different emotions come out. Um, I lead a Bible study over the phone every Thursday. It's an hour-long Bible study with a woman who um, was very, very steeped in Eastern religions. And she's <coughs> coming to know the Lord Jesus. And um, I'm glad I can be a part of that. When we spoke this past Thursday, she told me she had um, a house guest named Kia Schur. And she was so excited to tell me about her. Um, and unfortunately, I missed it because my phone ringer was off. Uh, I watched it afterward. But she went live on Facebook so that this woman could read a letter that she had written to people who hurt her very, very badly. Um, I was thinking about bringing that and then but my friend Yvonne was also translating it in Spanish and it would have taken this long and I thought I'll just go online and see if I can find it I did not find the letter but you'll get the gist of what she said Um, I went online and I found an interview in a series called Voices for Peace Um, and it was not certainly some if I didn't have her name I don't think I would have stumbled across this But I'd like to tell you a little bit about her. She's an American, and she was actually raised in a military family. Her dad was in the Navy. And she and uh, her husband and daughter went on a trip to India when something really horrible happened. On November 26, 2008, her husband, Alan, and their 13-year-old daughter, Naomi, (laughs) were killed. And it was the work of terrorists. And later, as she was, I didn't know this was going to happen. (laughs) Later, as she was watching television, she saw the face of the one surviving terrorist. And it was a young man in his teens. And she said that when she heard that, when she saw that, she heard a voice. She clearly heard a voice that said, forgive him. Forgive him. Um, She feels the goal of terrorism, and I think she's probably right, is hatred. And she refused to let hatred win. Since that time, she's devoted her whole life. She goes around the world um, trying to um, preach and to create peace in the world. She's written a book called um, Pocketbook of Peace, a 30-day companion. I've not read it. I don't know anything about it. Um, She says, and these are her words, I felt compassion for those who lost their connection 
And what she's talking about there is the connection that you're a human being, I'm a human being. We are human beings. They'd lost that connection because they had been trained to do so. And that's what her motive is. She wants to go around, instead of teaching hatred, if you go to these same people and instead of teaching hatred, teach them something better. She said, I felt compassion for those who lost their connection and were capable of killing their fellow human beings. We are all connected by the fact that we share this sacred life. We are human beings sharing life, and this life must be honored in each of us. Lack of the respect for the dignity of our differences has caused breakdowns in our ability to connect, collaborate, and find solutions to our challenges together. That's true about us in a community, and when you think about it worldwide, yes, you know, we do have misunderstandings about each other's cultures. Together we can find a way. Together we can do anything with love and respect for our differences. Be willing to let go of past history from both sides and start again with renewed commitment to create peace for the benefit of all. No screams for retaliation. No demand for revenge. Just a broken heart, a really broken heart, trying to mend itself with love instead of hate. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, Hatred paralyzes life. Love releases it. Hatred confuses life. Love harmonizes it. Hatred darkens life. Love illuminates it. Okay, get back to our scripture one more time. This is Matthew 5, 48. <clears throat> you, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. But we're not perfect. And most certainly, God knows that we are not perfect. Do you remember um, when I asked you about the different sports at the beginning? Well, none of you mentioned the one that I needed you to mention, so now I have to do it. Okay, golf. Okay, when you take a swing... You want it to go into the hole, correct? Mm -hmm. And sometimes people get a hole in one, and that is a really, really, really big deal. I'm not a golfer, but I know that's a big deal. <laughs> so, consequently, if it's possible to get a hole in one, at the end of 18 holes, wouldn't a perfect score be 18? Mm -hmm. Do you know of anybody who's ever done that? Do people quit playing because they don't have a perfect score? No. They keep at it, they try to get better, they try to improve. And folks, that's what God is asking of us. He knows we're not perfect. We, he just wants us to, uh, and I forgive me for making golf a metaphor for leading a perfect life, but I think you understand where I was headed with that. It's not about what we have done in the past. It's what we try to do in the future. Don't let the hurts that you've experienced in the past control your future. Mm -hmm. We can't do it on our own. We need to call on God. If you'd pray with me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we know we're not perfect. We're so far from it. And yet, dear God, creator of all, creator of everything, you know that and, and you still love us and care for us. Help us to honor you with the words that we use, help us to grow stronger, Lord, in ways that we can forgive. And it's, it's, it's a tough job, but I know that that's what you desire of us. 
Help us to be better, God. That's all. Just help us to be better. Give us reminders uh, throughout the week of maybe better ways that we can handle a situation or so that it doesn't um, become heated and angry. We ask these things in the name of your son, your son who died on the cross and while he, before he died, forgave those who put him there. It's in his name that I pray. Amen. 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 <clears throat>